Greetings and salutations. You've successfully arrived at the bloody, disgusting network. The passage of time will now bring you to something strange, unique, and idiosyncratic. Have a good time. Listen to this. This is the tape I found downstairs. It has been a number of years since I began excavating the ruins of Kandar with a group of my colleagues. Now my wife and I have retreated to a small cabin in the solitude of these mountains. I believe I have made a significant find in the Kandarian ruins, a volume of ancient Sumerian burial practices and funerary incantations. It is entitled Naturan de Manto, roughly translated Book of the Dead. From the gnarled woods of Michigan to the sun-kissed skyline of L.A., we are Halloweenies! You said, I hope you understand when you read this letter that you're better off without me. Come surround me in stormy weather. Stormy weather. It always surrounds me. Happy Halloween, trick-or-treaters, dreamers, campers, suspects, and deadites. I'm your host for today, Michael Maniac Ash Rothman. And don't worry, don't worry, I'm not going to do what everyone thinks I'm going to do and flip out, man. But I am going to talk about scripts that flip out. More specifically, horror movie scripts. And to be even more specific, horror movie sequels that flip the script. Uh, See? We got there eventually. Good God. Anyways, why are we talking about this? Well, we just finished sawing through Evil Dead 2. And we're about to fall right into Army of Darkness come May. So we're kind of in a pretty creative sweet spot. A bridge between two of the most creative and surprising sequels of the genre. Hyperbole? I don't know. But that's what we think. And uh, we also thought, why not talk about more movies like this? Why not get together and pull our resources? You know, the minds you trust when it comes to horror. Us, the Halloweenies. And why don't we get together and come up with a list of the 10 most creative, most forward-thinking, most ambitious sequels we could come up with or dream up with. And you know what? We did exactly that. And we're such goody two-shoes that we didn't just name 10. No, 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 no. We went with 13, which seems fitting since... Spoiler alert, one franchise with that number happens to pretty much own this territory. No shit. But uh, anyway, you've heard enough from me. And because I'd absolutely flip out if I was alone here on the mic, I've got two fellow co-hosts with me. Justin, say hello and uh, tell us, do you like to flip burgers or flip flapjacks? (laughs) Hey, this is Justin Fake Ship Gerber. I bet you've been holding on to that question for weeks now. (laughs) Oh, absolutely. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I'll tell you what, Mike. I, I, I'm a I'm a real schlub when it comes to cooking. Uh, when they say kiss the cook, they're not talking about Justin Gerber. I'll tell you oh, that right now. No, no, sir. Unfortunately, I'm also pretty poor at uh, flipping jacks <laughs> uh, and also flipping pancakes. So, if I had my druthers, though, I'd probably be more into flipping those burgers. You know? Yeah. So I guess I'd be I'd be more into the idea of maybe one day figuring that out. But in the meantime. You know, I got my Grubhub, I got my Uber Eats, I got my my legs to walk me to places to order stuff. I don't really need the I don't really need the skill. That is true. I I did wonder actually, and this is something that's been on my mind. 
Do your Grubhub drivers know you <laughs> at this point? They don't. You know, often, more often than not, they always have like a name that, I, and I see them. I'm like, there's no way that's their real name. Yeah. You know there's, I, mean? I don't feel I like, like they, they use their own names on there. No, like, I don't think that's the case. Maybe yeah. one day they'll ask, hey, is your real name John? Or, you know, yeah. I'll see what happens. There's, there are a couple that come to my, my apartment and they're like, they know it's me. And I know him. Every time I walk away, I'm just like, man, that guy probably thinks I'm such a fucking piece of shit. Like, I just not, do order nothing but food all the time. And now the worst is uh, Go Puffed, which is uh, this episode's oh, not my, sponsored by Go Puffed, but yeah, that's, that's trouble. Well, we appreciate all the money that. We get pouring into our accounts from Grubhub, Uber Eats, yeah. and GoPuff. So thank that's, you very much for that's the money. That's true. This is just a corporate sponsored way. Let's flip it over to our other co-host. Coming in from Brooklyn is Kickflip Caffrey. Kickflip, as I always love to call him. I never learned how to kickflip. I could no? 180. No, I skated a lot. I, you know, I was, I could ollie. I could 180. I could 360 sometimes. The problem with skateboarding is that you have to accept that you're going to get horribly hurt. There's no way to get good at it unless you really accept that you're going to fall and break something someday. And so I never or got past that point. Smacked in the back of the head when your skateboard goes flying, hits me in the mm. shins. That's true. And <laughs> that I go to you. hit you in the back of the head. That's, yeah, it should be that's noted that Justin hates skateboarders. So. Oh, good Lord. I'm a skateboarder too. So it yeah. looks like you hate the two people that are on well, this episode. Well, it's not easy. I was a life, yeah. It was a lifestyle growing up. <laughs> yeah. What can I say? I did, to be fair, I did, I did rock the No Fear shirts, even though oh, I never skateboarded. You? That's oh, not skateboarding. Yeah. That's not, that's not yeah, skate it is. brand. No Fear? No Fear is like redneck motocross shit. <laughs> nah, <laughs> dog. Nah, dog. That's, it was a real deal, man. That's what I'm saying. Uh, I just see Justin on an ATV now, um, you know, riding around like, I don't know. Hey, No Bur- Fear. Birmingham, Alabama or something like that, you know. Um, did you also have the bumper sticker of... Uh, of Calvin pissing on the Chevrolet logo. Oh, <laughs> no, that's yeah. why I but, no, but there was somebody did somebody did make a pretty sweet decal of me pissing on a skateboard. Oh, that's pretty cool. <laughs> I actually we should make we should do that as a shirt now. It's just have I had you, that like, in the back of my Hyundai accent. Yeah, like pissing on your favorite uh, horror movie sequel or your there's least that, favorite horror movie sequel. There's um, that that bit in uh, Hot Rod where is it Chris Parnell? He works for public radio. Mm. And he has a tattoo of Calvin pissing on the regular <laughs> FM stations. It's such a funny bit. I lost my mind when I first saw that. Um, that movie is so underrated. Oh, it's I, great. I, well, maybe it's properly rated now. I feel like everyone kind of talks about it, but for a while, it felt like no one had seen Hot Rod. Yeah. It's yeah. got a cult following now, I, th- I think. Yeah. Well, you know how it goes. It, it's Nobody likes it or nobody talks about it. Then people like it. And then you get the, the pieces 10 years later. Like, is Hot Rod the best movie of the 21st century? I mean, that yeah, inevitably happens that I way. Mean, so. Don't worry, well, it'll be fine. When I think of 21st century movies, I think of like Mulholland Drive. Mm. I think of Dunkirk. Mystic River. Mystic River and, uh, and Hot Rod. You know? What about The Time Machine <laughs> with uh, Guy Pierce? Oh, you know, that's a fun movie too. A decent and, uh, movie. I like it. Stars often forgotten uh, uh, mad TV actor Orlando Jones. So, and uh, Samantha Rumba, the uh, pop star, is also in that film. Oh, I really? Put huh. The Time Machine, that the Guy Pierce Time Machine, and the Count of Monte Cristo that came out around that same time. Those yeah. are kind of both, like both similar Pierce. quality. Yeah. They, yeah. And I think like Count of Monte Cristo, you know, I actually ended up seeing that. I saw it in theaters and I saw it again later on. It's, it was even good on the second watch. It was it's a great. fun movie. It, they're both good middle of the road, 2000s genre films. Yeah, so yeah, I had, yeah. had a good time. Well, the interesting thing about Count of Monte Cristo is that, uh, you know, all the revenge is literal and uh, takes place with his hands in that movie, uh, which is, you'd say, 
flipping the script uh, from uh, Alexandre Dumas's uh, original novel in which um, it's all played like a Rube Goldberg experiment. So uh, He's a schemer in the novel. Yeah, he's a schemer, mm-hmm. you know? He's a schemer. But uh, yeah, so that was my way of segging into the 13 movies that we have to talk about today. Nah, I'd like to talk a little bit more about Count oh. Monte Cristo directed by, <laughs> isn't that Kevin, um, Kevin Reynolds? Didn't he do that? The guy I, did a... Gun to my head, I could Waterworld not tell Mike? you... Oh, I'm sorry. No. I'm sorry. What are you talking about? Kevin Costner? <laughs> no, Kevin Reynolds. He directed it. I'm pretty sure the guy who directed Robin Hood and directed Waterworld. Oh, Kevin Reynolds directed Waterworld. It was not oh, Kevin no. Costner. Oh, no. Kevin Costner didn't do it? Yeah, it was no. Kevin Reynolds. And, uh, yeah. well, Kevin Reynolds was born in San Antonio, Texas. <laughs> born on January 17th, 1952. He did direct Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Wow, he really... Are you questioning me that you think I made that up? I, I didn't I didn't think you made made up the Count of Monte Cristo, but the the Robin Hood Prince of Thieves, I always thought it was like someone else, but Ah, my boy Reynolds. Reynolds. That's rap. crazy. So like they saw Red Dawn and they're like, Okay, you're gonna do Robin Hood Prince of Wait, Thieves. Wait, did he write Red Dawn? No, he oh yeah, he wrote Red Dawn. So they, they oh, didn't even John see Millius that. directed it, I think, right? Yeah, so Fandango and the Beast, are the Beast any is the Beast good? I, I mean, the Beast, like the Peter Benchley uh, adaptation nah. of the Giant no, Squid no, or something it's, else. It's, it's, uh, that's just, this is so strange. How the hell did he get Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves as a, as a project? Like, there's nothing really leading up to his, well, I guess television, no, not even that. He did amazing stories in 1986. Anyway, we that's can't the go connection too often. That he probably got the Spielberg connection. Oh, you know, it's funny, Mike, Kevin Costner was in an Amazing Stories episode, and I wonder if it was that one. Mm, let me see. It's you gotta Talk believe about, me. You know, Mike. I apologize. We just flipped the script in this episode. Yeah, we did. <laughs> we, we, what if we just talk about nothing just but talk Princess Thieves? Reynolds filmography. Oh, you know, the people love us. We're not even at the ten minute mark. It's fine. We're gonna get no, to this. No, we're not. Moment. Well, to be fair, it is a little bit on theme because if you remember the action figure line for Robin Hood, Prince of the Thieves, kind of flipped the script on the Star Wars figures because they were originally right. Return of the Jedi's uh, action figures. So, how about that? But look, you know. We could talk about Ewoks. We could talk about, you know, Brian Adams. Uh, we could talk about uh, Kevin Reynolds. But I think our listeners want us to talk about the 13 <laughs> movie sequels that flipped the script. But here's the, here's the thing. We, we, we could have ranked these. And we initially were going to rank these. And then, I don't know. I guess we got lazy. Shit happens. And we thought, I thought, why don't we just do this chronologically? Because if you think about it, you know, we could avoid the whole, well, who did it first argument? Because by doing it this way, you're going to know who did it first. So, you know, keep that in mind. Um, and don't, you know, just ignore the fact that I said it was lazy. Just just know that we thought from the get-go it was really important to do this chronologically. So, no, I think we've got a really good list here. I mean, yeah. and there was even some stuff that didn't make the cut. So It's true. And we can, we, we'll we, mention we those. Yeah, we'll mention those later. We'll mention those later. But let's go back in time. Let's go back a year after my father's birth, the great year of 1948. Mm, yes. And Justin, what, what movie came out in 1948 that we're going to be talking about right now? Well, I like how we're doing this, Mike, because like you said, we're going to do it in sequential order. Mm-hmm. And we're going to kind of discuss how, just how they flipped the script. Because uh-huh. there's different ways you can look at it, right? There's different uh-huh. ways you can look at it as, did uh, the movie go in a direction you didn't expect? That's one thing. Or is it categorized as a sequel maybe it's not a sequel so we're uh, so in this situation this is a movie that features bella lugosi as count dracula oh yeah not as some other character he's playing count dracula from the todd browning dracula movie you've got the great lon chaney jr as the wolfman like he is in his movie the wolfman and you've got 
Glenn Strange as Frankenstein's monster. Dan, correct me if I'm wrong. Didn't he also, Glenn Strange, appear as Frankenstein's monster in other Universal monster entries? Yeah, I think he, I want to say the ghost of Frankenstein, maybe son of Frankenstein too. Let me see. I know Karloff's in there for a while. I I have to say, having rewatched all the Universal, not even rewatched, but for the first time watched many of the Universal horror movies, the Frankenstein series is solid front to back. It's really solid. And it's like linear. I love that. There's no weird ignoring other films or anything. It is you could watch all those back to back, and it kind of tells a perfect story. So let, let's see. Well, he speaking was in of this a, perfect story, when I was you looked it up, yeah, Dan, we we left up the the title, flipping the script, <laughs> because <laughs> you've got all these characters playing their roles without a wink. They are mm-hmm. playing it straight. Lon Chaney Jr.'s uh, the Wolfman when he's what's his name in the um when he's Larry not the Wolfman again. Larry Sorry, Talbot. La- La- Lawrence Talbot. Lawrence Talbot. Yeah. He's nervous. He's he's afraid of turning the Wolfman in this, just like he is in the Wolfman movie. Dracula's evil throughout. The monster is also scary throughout. However, they Here's meet the foil. the foil. They meet Abbott and Costello. I'm talking about Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. Honestly, one of the greatest movies of all time. Oh, 1948. Yeah. This is well after Abbott and Costello were this terrific comedy team. You've probably heard the Who's on First bit over the years. They've done a bunch of other movies. Some haven't dated terrifically, but oh well. But then they really landed on something special here, which was even Bud Abbott was the straight man. Mm-hmm. The only real person who's making this a straight-up comedy parody spoof is Luke Costello, who's kind of mm-hmm. trapped in a serious movie. It was very, very inventive at the time. So I do consider this, honestly, part of that, that series of Universal Monster movies, because yeah. it is. These are the yeah. Universal Monsters in these movies identified as such. I think it's a great way of flipping the script in the fact that it's a parody only because of the protagonists. Yeah. Otherwise, well, it, it's, 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 it's a universal monster movie. And many look, we talked about this on the Creature from the Black Lagoon episode over at the Losers Club. Many people view this as the true swan song of the universal monsters. Even though you had the Creature movies that came mm-hmm. after this, which were great, this was huh. the last one to have all the, you know, Frankenstein, Dracula, Wolfman, you know, the big three, essentially, of those films. And also, this came on the heels of the monster mash slash monster team up movies like house of dracula house of frankenstein which weren't quite as good um and sorry i was incorrect he is glenn strange is not frankenstein's monster and ghost of frankenstein he was frankenstein's monster in house of frankenstein house of dracula anyway i feel like the team up elements of those movies don't work as well dracula gets really short changed when he's played by john carradine he just has a really quick death this feels like it's actually honoring those creatures and oh, totally. it is pretty freaky too i mean it's there's some actual scary sequences i i, I did a ranking of all the universal horror movies uh, or universal monster movies and this is way up there it almost feels like for lack of a better word like the end game i guess of uh of universal horror so yeah, yeah i love that's it that's a good yeah. comp that that is a really good comp and it, what's interesting too is that you know it's directed by charles barton who you know he was you know he was more he was like the principal director of the app and costello movie so i'm thinking like this does feel a little bit like you know you'd think that like given that the the majority of it is horror right and you really only have like just punctured with the comedy it's interesting they still went with barton as the director mm-hmm. as opposed no. to say you know any of the filmmakers that were responsible for the universal monster movies at the time i think it works because of that because i think that comedy as we've discussed in this podcast is a lot harder to helm yes it's all about cutting and, and knowing to pull yeah. away and, and that i mean horror is obviously the same but it's a totally different type of filmmaking it mm-hmm. just is 
Yeah, it's a different setup, you know, and mm-hmm. but it's also very similar in the terms of staging and blocking. I feel like, you know, you're you, as opposed to going and getting a scream, you're going in to get a laugh. I think the latter is harder. Yeah, but I, I I actually just saw this for the first time last year, and yeah, it's really strong. Like, I mean, the first twenty minutes is just so tight. It's so tight. Like, I mean, you're it, it's it's so compelling to see first off these two worlds m- mixed together. But it's almost distracting how funny it is in the beginning. Yeah. <laughs> and you almost forget you're watching a Universal Monsters movie. Like, you know, there's a point where early on, without spoiling too much, this, you know, I don't know, 70-year movie at this point. But the the, the point where the mummy is trying to come out or he's, I think it's Dracula's hiding in the in, in the in the in the tomb, I think it is, or not the tomb, but in he's the, in like in a the, shipping the coffin. Crate. Uh, yeah, yeah, the, co- yeah, the crate. Yeah, ship just before. like the movie. It's just, it's <laughs> yeah. fucking great. It's just, it's just a wonderful scene. The thing I wondered about this while while talking about it in the, or thinking about it in the context of this list is like this did, why didn't this model take off as much though? Like I mean granted it did for Abbott Costello because obviously they go and make a bunch of sequels but like I'm trying to think of like later generations like when you think of like the 70s and the 80s and the 90s and like obviously the 80s has certain elements of this but I just don't think it ever really landed that well in terms of mixing like, you know, the two di- disparate properties like this together. Like I just, I can't, I could, it was trying to I, rack I think, my brain. When I think about the eighties, Mike, I think the closest it came was Joe Dante's Jaws three people zero. Mm-hmm. Like would that have kind of been treated as the third Jaws entry? Cause I think it was officially a universal movie. Yeah. You know, it wasn't yeah. like it was somebody else going off and doing scary movie. This was like, no, it was just like a serious universal project that was being put out there. But and I also think the thing is when you when you look at Freddy, Freddy's already kind of a comedy mm-hmm. as as it goes on, especially the later the later entries. So I think the humor will get lost there, maybe you know. Yeah. I, so I I just I don't know how you would. I'm trying try to think of even like if you had. I know Tom um, Savini tried. He tried to make this happen with Cheech and Chong. For, that would I be believe, a good example of somebody yeah. like a famous duo who was making movies together like that. Yeah. Or. You're like you're, you know, it's funny. Like the only thing I can think of would be like Medea, Medea. Mm-hmm. Like that's a famous like comedy character I know. in the franchise. <laughs> Are of you saying the you only comedy character I can think of over the last yeah. ten years, or Hubie like Halloween Madea. or something like that? You know, yeah. came into. What if they the worst movie possible? They because they they tried to start that whole dark universe thing, so they they just try and reboot it with Medea. But they have to use the mummy from like Tom Cruise as the mummy, and then they have to use the monsters from Van Helsing from like 2006. Oh, God, or, God. the I'll, worst. I'll, I'll tell you, we were texting about this yesterday, or maybe it was the day before. I can't remember anything anymore. But when I was at Universal Studios, and I was posting photos on our Instagram, if you follow us, so in the, the Universal Makeup Show, which is one of the you know one of three great things that are in that in both of those parks anymore, they they for some reason have decided to still lean in on the show being surrounded or centered around 2017's The Mummy, the one that you just mentioned. Oh, God. And even the co-hosts that are on stage, like they asked at the beginning, it's like, oh, so who's seen, uh, you know, the Universal's new uh, The Mummy uh, with oh, Tom Cruise? No. And then and then no one raised their hands and they're like, yeah, we thought so. And then um, only they're <laughs> self-aware about it. And it was so strange. It was It was like the weirdest thing I've ever seen where I was like, wow, like... I, I feel like I'm watching like Robert Prosky and like Gremlins two now, like at this point, like it's it, like where they, he's like self-aware about how no one's really watching it and yada, yada, yada. And it, it was just such an odd thing. And it just, it just seemed to summarize like the dark universe project as a whole, like, mm-hmm. you know, but anyway, I, I digress. 
Anything else on Abbott and Costello, or should we jump ahead? Uh, not no spoilers, but great ending. Yeah, no spoilers. Yeah, and uh, foreshad very much foreshadowed uh, another Abbott and Costello movie. Right. And I think we should also say because mm-hmm. we're talking about how these movies flip the script, inevitably there's going to be spoilers throughout. Oh yeah, because <laughs> especially if the flipping of the script is the spoiler, you know what are we going to do? But it's these true. are older movies. These, all these movies we're covering, actually, Mike. I'm looking at this how we've how you got. They end before 2000. So they look, do. You've had, tw- you've had literally 24 years to watch all of these yeah. movies, all right? So There's been no imagination post uh, 9-11, so... Honestly, you're not no. off, because I think there's only a couple other ones that didn't make the cut, but we can talk about them a little bit, I guess, yeah. but nothing major. Honestly. No, no, no. It's kind of sad. Thanks, Bin Laden. 1981. <laughs> we're, we're jumping up ahead. We got, what is that, 33 years later? Oh, wow, it's like 33 a, it's years like, later. It's like Christ. Caffrey, 1981. What are you talking about? We were talking about Friday the 13th Part 2. You should understand why this is a flip script, but if you do not, in case you need a refresher, this is what introduces Jason to the franchise. He was in... Well, I shouldn't say introduces Jason to the franchise. This is what introduces Jason as the primary antagonist slash killer of the Friday the 13th franchise, which we famously see in Scream on the first film. Drew Barrymore gets the question wrong of, oh, who's the killer in the first Friday the 13th? It's not Jason's Jason's mom. You could argue that maybe Jason, you know, has that appearance at the end of that accounts as his first official introduction, but... We all know it's for this one. And even, I think it's also unique because he does not have the hockey mask here yet. Mm-hmm. He just has a, I guess, a burlap sack slash pillowcase, a pitchfork. You get to see some gnarly red facial hair at the end of it. And I don't know, here's a question for you two. Do you prefer this Jason to what we eventually get? Yes. And I know even after he has the hockey mask, he goes through so many changes, but I'm talking just appearance-wise, demeanor-wise. Do you prefer we, a hockey mask Jason we see in three onward or this one? It was fun going through the series one by one because everyone, I think we were like, well, this is the one I... Th-. It got to the point where like six or seven inches in, we were like, this is the one I think of when. Mm-hmm. But for me, I still think when I think of Jason, I do think of the Friday 13th 3 Jason. Yeah. Even same. though it's not like in my top four or five entries, honestly. But this, the one that is still somehow scariest to me mm-hmm. is Friday the 13th Part 2. Agreed. For Jason. That's where, I, that's where I'm I still I might be wrong. Did it, wasn't that even our headline for the episode? I think Friday the 13th was, Part yeah. 2 was our scariest Jason, which I still maintain. Yeah. yeah. And there, there's something that just feels a little bit more realistic about him, too. Even the outfit, because it's like, okay, that's what Jason would find, you know, if he was out in the woods or mm-hmm. whatever else. So, yeah, and I, I always... I would have loved to have seen all that live in real time. You know, I don't yeah. know if people knew it going into it, if it was going to be Jason or what, but I, I would have loved to have just gone to the film opening night and realized what was going on and what a pivot that was. I mean, that feels like it was probably a unique thing in horror back then. Oh, hundred percent. I mean, think of it this way. If you want to look at it like music, it's almost like Jason Voorhees is like the Brian Johnson to like Bon Scott, <laughs> yeah. like to Pamela Voorhees, Bon That's Scott great. in a way, you know, or like even like, well, I wouldn't say I wouldn't say Roth and Hagar just because Roth had like a, a more epic long long, long run, but yeah. you know it, it is interesting to see that like you know who was ostensibly the MacGuffin of the first movie, which is this dead son or supposedly dead son comes back, claims the entire franchise, and becomes not only emblematic of that franchise, but to most people in America. And this is a sh- no shade to the the, the titular franchise the, of our podcast, but more more recognizable than Michael Myers, who yes, this movie yeah. riffs on. It, it, it's fucking unbelievable. It's like one of the most amazing coups 
in horror that I don't feel like most people talk about enough. Like they kind of just go, Oh, Jason. Yeah. Well, it's like, well, no, this is a, it's a fucking crazy story. How that came about. Well, the, the joke is even there in the beginning of scream. Mm-hmm. When she just says it's Jason, it's Jason. And she's like, no, the mother, like people actually yeah. don't really, even growing up before I saw the first one, I just assumed Jason was the killer in all the movies. Like that was oh, established yeah. lore. I felt yeah. like, and I can yeah. think of any, I was really racking my brain where I was, we were kind of coming, coming up with these entries and, I can't think of many movies. I'm sure I'm think, I'm sure I'm gonna forget something that's right in front of me, but that have the kind of an iconic killer at one point, mm-hmm. and then they flip the script, as it were, and they just have somebody new the rest of the way. Yeah. Be what like, about uh, the disciples uh, of Jigsaw? Ooh, honestly, <laughs> that's not bad. But it's still is ultimately <laughs> no, it's, yeah. it's still, well, it's still Jigsaw game in every one of those. It's <laughs> exactly. yeah, game over. I mean, even Spiral, they couldn't get away from it. They're like. Eh. You know, it's, yeah, yeah, really, yeah. That's a that's a, that kind of flips the script in a way, though. A little so bit. Yeah, maybe we'll talk about that at the end. Here, here's a weird question. This is something I thought about. Well, we'll we'll come up with some notes for this. It's odd to think that Friday Thirteenth Part Two comes out the same year as Halloween Two, mm-hmm. and yet yeah, Halloween Two is not year. on this list. Well, so. Halloween Two. How, how, does it really flip the script? Though? It doesn't. It doesn't. But it's just it just, it's just turns up the volume a little bit. I think. Yeah, yeah I love yeah. Halloween too. But it it just yeah, it's gorier. But it's kind of using all the same tricks and treats, as it were. Uh, I think yeah. we talked about this on the episode. Yeah. I, I you know Friday Thirteenth wouldn't exist without Halloween, but Halloween Two wouldn't exist without Friday Thirteenth. Yeah, yeah, it's true. In, in and, and honestly, what's weird enough is that Friday Thirteenth Part Two is more original than Halloween Two, if you really think about it. You're right. No, you're right. <laughs> yeah, I'd agree that. with that. Which is crazy I, to think about. It's such a pretzeled. Logic, but it, I don't know, it makes sense, I feel. Hey, call uh, Steely look, I, Dan. Uh, I hold yeah. Friday Thirteenth Part 2 almost uh, to the same level as Halloween 2, personally. Yeah, I could see that, yeah. Because oh, you said your, your take is that Halloween 2 is the best slasher of the 80s, right? That's, that's been my take, yeah. I mean, yeah. You can dissect that, that phrase of what is a slasher, but mm-hmm. I do think that that's the best slasher of the 80s. If that's you don't count Nightmare on Elm Street. <laughs> that's true. I don't count Nightmare on Elm Street as a slasher. Or I, I just, nah, I don't count that either. It's all supernatural yeah. horror for me. Yep. Um, well, look, let's stay in Haddonfield for a second. Um, 1982s, <laughs> I'm going to introduce this one because I just love this one. Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. You know, it, it's, it's obvious. It's, it took the, the model that was Michael Myers, this narrative. And then they're like, well, why don't we just try the anthology approach? And, um, well, uh, it didn't work. At the time, it didn't work. At the time, it didn't work. Now it's you know the best of the franchise, according to people on, on Twitter sometimes. But I, I love this movie. I have multiple mugs of it. I love the aesthetic. Mm. I think it's great. I still wish that this was successful so that we had more anth- anthological uh, Halloween horror stories. But I have a question here I'm going to throw out. If this was successful, would more franchises adopt this? Because even something like Stranger Things couldn't do it mm-hmm. because they realized that their IP, that their original source characters were too good to ignore. So was this always doomed to fail? Well, if you look at a franchise that did kind of do this, the Silent Night, like literary, but the Silent Night Deadly Night franchise, it did try to do that with, the invitation, which is mm-hmm. about kind of a coven of witches, and you see some cal- you see some you know Christmas decorations a little bit, I guess, but it's really oh, not God, a Christmas that, movie. That at is all. a fucking stretch. And then, <laughs> and then the fifth one, the Toymaker. So those those last two entries actually are more of an anthological take on it because there's no mention of Billy or a Santa Claus no, killer. No, so, but, um, I don't know. That it's, feels it's, it's more a great, like a product. It's a, it's a, it's a uh, sliding door situation. I have no idea. Yeah. I, I just don't know. Yeah. 
It's an interesting, I mean, it's an interesting story. I mean, it's, uh, you know, in terms of ingenuity that's wired into this, uh, you know, I have to applaud it. But, you know, you look at the blockbuster returns of like Halloween 4 through even now, you know, it makes sense. <laughs> it's like, I, I get I always, it. I get why they keep making them, but. I always wonder, I mean, you you both alluded to this with just how we look at movies now. And granted, Halloween 3 was looked at as this kind of cult classic before the big every movie is amazing boom that we're currently in. But I almost want, yeah, I almost wonder if Halloween 3 would even have the status it does now had it done well, if that makes sense. Yeah, like Halloween true. 4 did really well in theaters. And that, yeah, among Halloween fans, it's definitely renowned and loved and whatever else. But I would argue Halloween 3 is probably more iconic. And I think it's because it didn't do well initially. Like it's this weird catch 22. Like if it had done well, I wonder if it would have quite the legacy it does. I, Maybe I think something, wrong. Like, I don't know. something like Halloween 3, it feels like. When it kind of had that renaissance over, over honestly, over the last twenty years now, when you think mm-hmm. about it, it, really has been. I think if, if there's something special about unearthing something, yeah, unearthing oh, totally. like a lost gem or a forgotten gem. I still, I still, I still experience that with things I all discovered I'd never heard of from like the fifties or sixties. You're like, wow, why, why is nobody talking about this? It, there is something special about that feeling, and it's a good feeling to hold on to because now I do feel like we're inundated, you know, with familiarity. Oh, 100%. But with this, this was kind of a special thing to, to stumble upon, especially if you weren't familiar with it. So, yeah. 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 It's, it also kind of fills into that, that thing that you always talk about, where, like, it didn't really hit that middle ground of, like, oh, this is a C movie, you know, like, where it's, like, it's not good, it's not bad, it's just in the middle. And I feel like if it did do that, maybe people wouldn't talk about it so much. I don't, I, or maybe it did do that, and that's why people talk about it now, and that's how it kind of graced under, and anyway, I digress. I don't know. I watched it, Mike. I watched it because I've always been a fan of it. I think for mm-hmm. a while I thought it was underrated and I thought it was a little overrated. But I actually watched it last Halloween by myself. Just threw it on, no distractions. And it might have been my favorite viewing of it, honestly. I just yeah, think it's great. We talk about this all the time. I know it, it kind of starts to sound like Old Man Yells at Cloud, but there is definitely a patience to that movie that, once again, you don't necessarily get with oh, a lot no. of movies now. And I, I think that's just still, that's something to me that's still refreshing to kind of rediscover these older, these older movies. So, yeah. Oh, totally. Totally. Yeah. Uh, well, let's move on to uh, just the next year. Wow, we actually really are going sequentially in the 80s. How about that? Cue the Foo Fighters. Uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> Here's another entry next year. This is one of your favorite sequels, Justin. Oh, yes. Well, this movie, I, I was racking my brains about this. With the exception of, of course, Puppet Master 3, Toulon's Revenge, I cannot think of many horror movies in which the antagonist becomes... The protagonist, and this is well, what happens. There's only one I could think of. Yeah, I, I, I was racking my brain. I'm sure when you say it, the Caribbean three. Pirates of the Caribbean three. Does that yeah. happen? Yeah, that is true. He does come back. It's, it's yeah, true. It's yeah. true. Well, okay, don't breathe too. A don't breathe too. Iconic villain. <laughs> yeah, no, not iconic villains. I would yeah, say, there we go. So I'd be like, about yeah, the, an antagonist, a very extremely famous antagonist, one of the most famous horror villains of all time, Norman Bates in Psycho, 1960 Psycho is basically the protagonist in uh, Richard Franklin's 1983 Psycho 2, written by, of course, the great Tom Holland. And that's it. I mean, that's flipping the script right there. I don't even know what else you can possibly say, but it's absolutely incredible to me. You know, I think, was it, Caffrey, I think you watched all the Psycho movies a couple years ago, or was it last year? Uh, just last year, yeah. I, yeah. I'd seen two, well, just one and two in the remake, of course, before, but... um yeah, but it had been a while for two, and watching them back-to-back was pretty rewarding. Yeah. And we have our man Dean Cundy behind the camera, too, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the movie looks amazing. 
And the score is also great. Jerry Goldsmith takes over the score. So the movie itself, we could talk about the movie. I could talk to, about this movie until I'm blue in the face. I think it's actually Quentin Tarantino's preferred Psycho, which I can't hot quite take. go there. Too hot Can't take, do that, yeah. my man. But I do love Psycho 2. And it's all credit to Anthony Perkins. I mean, mm-hmm. from the first moment you see him in the courthouse, you feel sympathy for him. And you're kind of angry at Lila Loomis, who's back from Psycho. She kind of becomes the antagonist throughout the movie. It's an incredible, looking back 40 years later, it's an incredible accomplishment when you really think about it. I can't think of, this would be like if they had done a Nightmare on Elm Street 2, right? And mm-hmm. Freddy is all of a sudden a good guy, reformed, and Nancy is, is bad. irrational. Oh, 100%, like, yeah. I can't think of any other movie that could have pulled this off. And by all means, this movie should not have worked at all. But no. it somehow does. And it, went, and it actually gets at a complex kind of morality that is yeah. absent from so many horror movies. Even the first Psycho, to an extent. I mean, the first Psycho, you do have the nature versus nurture thing and how aware was Norman, should he be persecuted, etc. But this really gets to the sticky question of, no, this is a good man who's once again being made bad by other people. Like, he really tried his hardest, and society fought against that. I mean, you don't see that in a lot of horror films. I mean, the ending is just crushing of the, of this movie, and creepy, yeah. too. Uh, yeah, I love Psycho, too. I think it's great. And, and once again, talking about flip script, uh, <laughs> check, please. <laughs> check, please. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I, 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 like, I like this movie a lot. I think it's really strong. I mean, in terms of... It's as strong as you were ever going to get yeah. for following up arguably one of the greatest movies of all time. Now, I actually have some issues with Psycho, the original one, just in the sense of I do think that there's... Brady Snellis has a really good uh, digression on it in one of his older episodes, but you'll have to probably sort through a lot of MAGA shit to get there. But <laughs> and, and that's no shade. I love Brady Snellis. But like, he did have a really good point of like, you know, it does have the, the second half compared to the first half. If you really are kind of observing the two equals, it's a there's an argument to be had that that is a, a front loaded movie. And you know, I don't know if I necessarily agree with it, but I can see the argument. Um, I see the argument because when people think about the movie, they think about the shower scene. I think mm-hmm, maybe people yeah. think it might end there in some ways, but I, I think Martin Balsam as Arbogast is oh, he's just great. unbelievable. I, I think about the confrontation. Not even the confrontation, but the scene he has at night at the motel, smartly interrogating Norman. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love it. Yeah. That whole sequence is amazing. And then you got him walking up the stairs, the climax. I don't know. I still think it's, it's pretty amazing. You can, yeah. if, you, if you want to say what's better, the first half or the second half, I mean, it's got to be the first half. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I still think it's, it's, a, it's a, one of my favorite movies of all time. So. Where, where do you stand on the exposition at the end, though? I guess because there's a lot the of people that go off I can tell you right now, the exposition at the end was something that Hitchcock had just gotten so used to because it was mostly forced mm-hmm. upon him, especially if you look at a movie like Suspicion, which I won't spoil, but it's absolutely haze-coded to death. Everybody out there, please investigate what the haze code was. It hurt movies a lot in terms of sad endings. Mm-hmm. And like even around this time, I think we talked about this in the past, but you know, in Psycho, he used the same crew from his he TV did. show, yeah, which was a very minimalist experience. But in that show... Because all those episodes would have these really creepy endings a lot of the time, you know. <laughs> He'd always have to come back at the end and say, don't worry, so-and-so got arrested. And it, it was just, it was insane. So I feel like he had to have that kind of moral <laughs> thing in there. And at the time, I think people had to be told what the fuck was going on. Because I you agree. just did not see yes. that at all. So, 
Yeah, especially and also the, the, themes you know, and also there. the psychi- yeah. the psychiatrist is another great character actor. So once again, he it's kind of like oh, you know, is. you get him in and there. Then, you could definitely cut and paste if you were doing a. I'm sure if if he had lived longer and, and the director's cuts were all the fat, he probably would have been like, "We're going to end this with the shadows dancing across Norma's face," and then just I'm cut sure. to him being in, yeah. in the in the chamber, but. I do like to, I feel like the fly moment at the end and the one line we get from Norman as mother, the thank you, yeah. that feels like a really satisfying cap to that. And I yep. wonder if that would be as satisfying if we didn't have the exposition. Like you've kind of, It's almost like your reward for sitting through this, you get one last scare. So yeah, I don't mind it. I like the exposition. What if, to Justin's point though, would this have hurt the movie if, uh, you know, at the end when you see the fly, all of a sudden you see a hand come and go, oh, yeah, get out of there, get out of there. No, Norman, we're going to take you home. And it's Alfred Hitchcock, and he's like, see, nothing happened. And Norman's great. You know, everything's fine. <laughs> Good evening. Just, yeah. As you know, this, <laughs> everything Anthony. was fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he, was, he was reintegrated into society. You know, <laughs> lived like, a see, fruitful life. A most fruitful life. A most fruitful life. And she, his mother, lives. She's okay. Everything's fine. <laughs> uh, well, speaking of lives, Jason lives, mm. uh, which is our next entry. <laughs> good, good job. Uh, 1986's Friday the 13th, part six, Jason lives. I, we don't have to go too deep into this just because we have a whole, I don't know. Uh, probably three four plus hour hours. Three hours. At this, it, was at this point. it was long. It was long. Plus, plus, like a two-hour interview with the director, Tom. With the director, director yeah. Tom McLaughlin. So, yeah, Let's we got a lot of content. And if you are a diehard listener, you know why this is on the list. It's basically scream before scream. Um, you know, if anything, this feels like more of an extension to the Abbott and Costello, in the sense of Definitely. you know bridging the comedy. Um, my my question to this is, you know, did this open the door for the franchise, or do you feel it ultimately closed it? successfully in terms of like the creative momentum that was going on in Friday the 13th. Cause I don't know if we talked about that with, I mean, we pr- honestly, we probably did cause we talked about fucking everything on that season, but do you feel that, you know, in a way, yes, obviously it did open the door to making new sequels, but was it ever this creative again? No, I think, mm. I mean, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe you could argue Jason X. I don't, I don't think that movie is anywhere near as good as this one, but just in terms of, the parody element of it. I think in a weird way, the movies that came after took the wrong elements of this movie. I'm not Mm -hmm. saying that every movie, every sequel after this had to be another parody, but I don't, you know, I don't know if I would call this a parody. We talked about this. It, it really toes that line nicely. Like it's still a really, I think it's more about it being zany comedy. Yeah. It's definitely over the top comedy involved. I think it's, it's more, you know what it is of the six movies at this point, it's the most self-aware. Mm-hmm. It's the most winking, yeah, 100%. exactly. Six, and that's and that's a major difference, especially from the the real grisly entry before this one, which is really just yeah. a a bad, yeah. like a, a tough time at the movies. With part, I, I kind of like part five years later. I mean, but part five it's not is a movie. Another, another five is you know, druggy and miserable. Yeah. Like it's just, yeah, it's you know. it's a wild movie. But but yeah, yeah six. It's interesting because I think Jason X maybe leans a little too hard into the comedy, and then the other films are kind of trying to be straightforward slashers, but still using the Jason from Jason Lives, which doesn't quite work as a completely straightforward slasher. So, yeah, I just feel... I mean, we talked about this in the episode. I think tonally, this just hits such a sweet spot that I don't think any of the other entries that came after it do. But I also don't know if they even could, given what their general concepts are as movies, you know? Yeah. It's it's tough because I look at it and I think to myself, well, objectively, in my opinion, 
the sixth one is technically the last good one, right? Yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah, but, yeah, I would say it. But you know, I would still rather watch a new Blood or Jason Takes Manhattan over like the worst Halloween movies. Yeah, I could say but that. It's kind of a weird. Uh, it's almost just like an entertaining versus good. Like I don't know. It's, and that's where we disagree. Uh, well, except for Resurrection, I I can I can rewatch any Halloween movie so many times except for Resurrection. That's it. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's the one I can't so go bad. Back to. Oh god, yes. Resurrection is so tough. Even I'll, when it's I'll watch on the AMC zombie Fear ones. Before, yeah. Uh, oh no, I agree, Dan. For real, zombie. Bad. They've got yeah. some good stuff to come back to at least. They do. Yeah, Resurrection is the only. I, I I would watch most of the Halloween sequels over most of the crappy Jason movies, except for Resurrection. I would watch pretty much any Jason movie over over Resurrection. I think. Well, hmm. I'll tell you this: I'll watch any movie over a Leatherface movie for the most oh, yeah. part, with the exception <laughs> of the original be the Defender. <laughs> so you are going to be the Defender, and there, yeah. there's a reason why I skipped you in the last one because uh, let's just say I love <laughs> Jason Lives, and I don't like this next ent- entry. Please read the, ne- the the second 1986 film that we have on this list. <laughs> This is the Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, which, all right, I'm, I've always, I will say this. When I was a kid, I don't think I looked at this movie as, oh, it's a zanier version of the first movie. I think I just looked at it on its own terms as a straightforward horror movie, and I really enjoyed it. Upon our rewatch, a couple times, I think, for the podcast, well, not, not a couple times. I guess we did the, the commentary comment, last time. The commentary November, that yeah. we did. Yeah. I do agree with everyone else that it's a little bit long in the tooth. It's it just when they get to the fun house thing at the end, it just goes on and on and on. However, I I do appreciate the movie's aesthetic and its kind of anarchic spirit, which I feel like it shares a little bit with the movie that we'll get to a little bit later in this list. Here's what I want to ask you both, because Toby Hooper insists that this is what he meant the tone of the first movie to be. I don't think I believe him. I don't either. RIP. But uh, I, this, this to me is, I don't know if I would call it a comedy per se, but it's just going so over the top in the way that the first one does it. I guess you could argue Leatherface and the cannibals in the first one are over the top just by the nature of what they are. But I think because it's so gritty and documentary feeling, it doesn't feel like a cartoon in the way that the second one does. Do you, but yeah, do you guys believe that, toby hooper really like oh this is what he really meant the first one to be i you know it's complicated to talk about toby hooper in so many ways right but i guess it's kind of documented that he had some substance abuse problems we'll call it in the 80s yeah so you know i can only you know take the vision so far i guess (laughs) as to what he felt he was trying to do with this and versus the first one i mean that's the first one you look at the here's what it is dan you know you look at the behavior of of the hitchhiker and and the cook in the first one, and they're always like kind of being goofy and laughing, but it's still it's still terrifying because you're imagining yourself in that predicament that they're going to. And there's put some you psychology in. behind it too. Yeah, you, you believe that these guys are 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 real and unhinged. Yeah. But this one, I mean, from the very beginning, the, the chase, which is it's a kind of a fun high chase on the road, but we're we're entering kind of slasher territory that the first one was way ahead of. Yeah, no I do. And I, and, and, and definitely a lighter tone, a lot, much lighter tone in the second I, one. I will say too, I do love the pacing issues aside. I do continue to love the tone of this movie. I love that you get to see Dennis Hopper with two chainsaws squaring off against Leatherface. <laughs> yeah. um, I mean, that's where the comedy comes in. I mean, you can't take it seriously <laughs> yeah. at that point. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think if you knock off like twenty minutes, 
Yeah, I like it much better. Yeah, it's like what Dan said. Once they get to that cave, it's like it's, it's when they get to the cave. The, ra- the radio station stuff is is really good. I think. Yes, yeah. I agree. And the radio station is really good. Does freak me out. Yeah, it's just it's so funny. I don't know. It's re- revisit these movies as you get older. I don't know if I was just a dumb kid or what, but maybe I think I think comedy and horror when I was little just was, flew over my head. Because even Scream, I didn't really look at the first Scream as a horror comedy when I was younger. I just I looked at it like a slasher movie that was commenting on other slasher movies. But yeah. I think. I don't know. I don't know if you people would call Scream a horror comedy, but I definitely just looked at it. All that stuff is more of even. Honestly, even the Evil Dead films, I feel like maybe I was just a little fucking moron. Well, that's know. a question but, I wanted. Nah, nah. I'm glad you brought up Evil Dead. Um, we, well, because hey, we're on the Evil Dead season, am I right? But uh, <laughs> yeah. I did want to ask a question here because this is 1986. Do these two movies, Jason Lives and Texas Two? have any influence on the trajectory that they're going in with evil dead too. I mean, granted they're probably, uh, I mean, they're yeah. in production around this time probably, but I have to imagine it, it's just too coincidental. I don't know. May, that may, I'll save the question because the next, the next year also could have these questions too. So oh, um, very much so, but I think, you know, it just based on the research that we've done, I just think that Sam Raimi and Bruce Campbell and Robert Tapper for that matter, were far more invested in, in comedy than they were horror. Mm-hmm. But I think that that was a big, Jones with the second one, and they definitely lean into the the comedy. It's definitely yeah. much more of a comedy. Yeah, it's that's definitely a horror comedy. Evil Dead Two is a horror comedy. Oh, 100 percent. That's definitely a horror yeah. comedy. Yeah. yeah, but I don't know yeah. if it was very informed. I don't think I don't, I don't think that they were big fans of those movies you mentioned, Mike. So I'm not sure if it really would have influenced them that well, much. I, I almost feel like, and I don't know if this is a direct influence. Well, and I I told you all before we started recording, I. Um, watched rewatched on the dead last night, but I watched the long cut for the first time. I never seen it before. And I'm still so taken by the tone of that movie because I wouldn't call that movie a horror comedy, even though there are such blatant elements of satire in it and social commentary. Yeah, the humor because if you think about it, that movie is very sad in a way. Mm -hmm. I mean, even though I know they're you know they're playing the goofy music while they're shopping and there's the bikers and whatever else, but when you think about what's that what that's saying about consumerism. It's a kind of depressing. Oh, it is. Vapid, it's a total depressing movie, yeah. which I love about it. And so it's this weird thing of like it's showing something that looks kind of funny, but when you stop to think about what they're actually doing, it it becomes a very sad commentary on consumerism in America. Texas Chainsaw Massacre too. I think maybe the filmmakers knew they were being funny. Yeah. In that, oh, Leatherface is pumping the air with a chainsaw. That's funny. In the deleted scene, there's a severed hand that flicks off the camera. That's funny. Yeah. Joe Bob gets killed. That's funny. Without quite thinking what they were going to say about it. Now, then you take a movie like Evil Dead 2, which isn't necessarily saying anything in terms of social commentary, but it goes after the comedy bits so hard yeah. that that works too. And maybe the issue for some people, not for me, because I, I like Texas Chainsaw too, but I think maybe the issue with Texas Chainsaw in terms of like, the muddiness that's caught between those two extremes. Like it's not really saying anything. I don't think maybe it is about vegetarianism or something. I have no idea. I think but. they, I don't know. I think they still are trying to be, it's kind of like, I mean, look, we're going to be talking about the stuff soon, which is right around this time is 85. And I think this is interesting to look at what horror was like around 85, 86, 87, because with the exception of like, I mean, it's not until really, it's really not, it's like the subversive filmmakers or the more cutthroat filmmakers, the only ones actually making real horror movies. If you think about it in 1986, probably the three scariest movies that you could possibly watch are the fly Mm -hmm. David Cronenberg, which is, 
pretty much just a metaphor for, you know, cancer and AIDS. Oh, by the way, that kind of flips the script on its original movie. It does, absolutely. Yeah. Two, Manhunter, which is one of the first true crime movies that deals with forensics, the, the budding forensic sciences that were coming through at that time. And, and then three, the, the Hitcher, which is kind of like a mm. almost borderline action, but like terrifying in the sense that it's a real life situation for the most part. I mean, if you really want, the ending kind of gets yeah. a little wild, but other than that, you get like even something like Aliens, which takes one of the the scariest movies of all time, flips the script and flips the script. But it's we didn't put it on this because it's an action movie. Yeah. Um. But that's the thing. It's like the Aliens is an action movie. Texas Chainsaw Massacre is comedy. I mean, it's it's kind of weird how like these 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 beacons of horror are tongue in cheek at this point. So it's like I guess in that sense, it makes sense that Evil Dead Two would just follow suit. So and um, you know, yeah. Speaking of flipping the script, it looks yeah. like um, on Twitter today, uh, Michael Myers actor. I'm guessing either James Shu, Courtney, or no, it's Nick Castle. I guess uh, he says Halloween ends is the ending, the twist mm-hmm. ending, and it's absolutely something I don't think you would have ever guessed. So we'll see if it's gonna well. That means it's going to be something we, we've probably predicted years ago. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Based on the rollout for the last two movies. Oh, God. Him. I hope it doesn't mean that they're going to be... COVID th- kills Michael Myers. I think. Oh, my God. It's going to happen. He's oh, about man. to kill He's about to what kill Lori. He starts coughing they... and, and dies. And it's like, you should have been vaccinated. She's like, you should have worn your mask, Michael. Oh, oh God. If they do that, if they do that, I will storm out of the theater faster than I did at the end of Crystal Skull. When hit, when when Indiana Jones gets married, I, I will lose my shit. Like at that point, this the franchise has, has somehow managed to piss me off in mo- in more ways. Like I'm 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 I feel like I've been like in therapy because of this franchise because I've just had to accept how low that can get. If they do the COVID ending, I swear to God, I'm. I'm not there's even no, record- Mike. There's no way they're doing the COVID ending. It's not gonna. Uh, happen. Oh, yeah. that'd be so funny. And then and then they make it a metaphor for Republicans or something. She's like, yeah, they oh. should. Oh god! I'll have a convulsion in the fucking theater. I was thinking about that. Just well, anyway. Oh man! Speaking of, I know one thing they won't do, mm. and that's make Michael Myers a musician. <laughs> Good point. So that's Good a second transition. to 1987's <laughs> next film because uh, we're only going one more year. Uh, so, Justin, what's the uh, what's the first 1987 film? Well, 1987's uh, Slumber Party Massacre too. I mean, Slumber Party Massacre is just, looking back. That's aged pretty well. It's, mm-hmm. it's great. You know, written by a woman. I think it was written by a woman, I believe, at the mm-hmm. time. And still is, by the way. Nothing changed. And um, <laughs> yes. so it really was a commentary on how women are, are, are featured in slasher movies. You've got the driller killer in that, the phallical, the whole thing's going on there, too. Played pretty straight, though. I think a woman directed it. Was, uh, it was, yeah, Amy Holden Jones directed the first one, and Rita Mae Brown wrote it. So, yeah. yeah, which, the, uh, so yeah there you go. There you go. And that's a rarity j- just on its own, regardless of the mm-hmm. content of the film. Well, the second yeah. movie also. Deborah Brock. Deborah Brock, directed yeah. by another woman. However, this flips the, this flips the script in a couple ways, and you almost don't want to spoil it too much because the ending is yeah the ending is still pretty freaky, despite the fact that there's a lot of loose comedy going on throughout. But the second one flips it in a way that you don't know if this is really happening or if it's all being imagined, essentially. And you also incorporate the um, bands playing. <laughs> Full-on songs. Yeah. <laughs> including the, the killer. Way, including yeah. the really killer. good songs, by the really way. Really good songs. Movies. Really good songs. Yeah, movies. And then on top of that, the driller be- killer shows up. Instead of being this kind of, you know, stereotypical 
working type guy like he is in the first one and, and doesn't say a word in the first one from what I can recall. Well, he says a couple things, but not much. Mm-hmm. In the second one, you basically have like this Elvis, you know, slick back guy dancing around and killing people with a guitar with a drill at the end of it and singing as yeah. well, by the way. It, it almost becomes a musical at a certain point. Oh, 100%. Yeah. And, you know, I, I'm not saying this is like, this should have beat out of, out of Africa at the Oscars that year. But what I'm saying is this definitely fits the category of flipping the script. Mm-hmm. That, we're, that we think we're looking for here a lot. And, and it's, it's a pretty fun time at the, at the movies. And like I said, good tunes. Release you haven't this, seen it, check it out. It's wild to me that like we get like, you know, reissues of, you know, vinyl reissues of like, you know, Jason Takes Manhattan. Or uh, what was one that just that baffled me the other day? Oh, whatever. I don't need to sh- throw shade to, to a bunch of vinyl reps. But um, why don't we have Slumber Party Massacre 2 as like a great vinyl or something? Like these songs are like so fucking songs. catchy. They're yeah. so catchy. Like, soundtrack. God, that to- was it Tokyo Convertible? Like that song is so fucking catchy. Like I, that, got, that, that song gets stuck in my fucking head all the time. It's like, I want to be a Tokyo Convertible. I think that's what it is. Yeah. But that, <laughs> there's that, a couple that, of them. Yeah. They get every time, cause it's, it was on Shudder a, a, a fucking ton of times or back when Shudder TV used to be playing it. And it was like every morning and like Sammy and I would just be pl- like whistling and humming these songs so much. And this, this is like, you know, at that time it was like what, 30 something years later. It's yeah. fucking wild. So yeah, make a vinyl, give me a vinyl of slumber party mask or two already. Absolutely. Any other uh, thoughts on uh, the slumber two? You know, I never saw Slumber Three. Yeah, I didn't see. I haven't. I've, I've only seen the first two. I think Slumber the third th- one plays it kind of straight again. And you know, what it does. It's kind of it like does. what J- what the new blood does to Jason Lives. Mm-hmm. I think it kind of yeah. tries to play it straight again. Let's put the genie work. back in the bottle. Doesn't work. But uh, talk about the genie going out of the bottle. Mm. Uh, our next entry, 1987's Hello Mary Lou Prom Night Two. Old mission here. I've never actually sat down to watch this movie beyond second screen watches. I've seen it probably 30 times as a second screen mm. watch, but I've never actually sat down with a bowl of popcorn and said, I'm going to watch Hello, Mary Lou, Prom Night 2. This is a really, this has become another movie that's really be, become beloved over the years. Yeah. And a lot of people in the, on the, in the horror community love it now. I don't think it's that good, to be perfectly honest with you. I think that the last half hour is really, really good when the titular Mary Lou shows up. Mm-hmm. I agree. Uh, I think it's a pretty strong c- climax. I dig, I dig it in that it just moves in a way that the first prom night doesn't. I mean, my yeah. big, I mean, honestly, the first prom night, I love the the last stretch of it. It's an interesting story though because I think part of why I hesitate to give this movie as much love as other folks do is that it was an accidental flipping of the script. That's why I wanted, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I can't divorce that context from it. So yeah, go ahead, Justin. Well, yeah, because originally it was gonna, it was called the Haunting of Hamilton High, <laughs> but this is an early example of IP IP slap king, yeah. So, I mean, there's no Mary Lou in, in the first prom. The prom night is just a slasher movie. There's no supernatural element at all. It's no. a whodunit. This one is supernatural from the very beginning of the movie. I mean, it, it's all about the ghosts of Mary Lou coming back and wreaking havoc and seeking revenge. So, yeah, in, in two ways it flips the script. It's not. It's it's one of these rare, it's one of these examples of a of it becoming a sequel by default because of IP, and it become it's a supernatural movie and not kind of based in reality like the first one is i'm gonna i'm gonna call it the ip slap at this point because mm. that's it seems like that's exactly what it did just put the sticker right on it exactly when was the last time that actually happened though like i'm, I'm i was racking my brain trying to think of it it must have been like what the early 2000s you like, know, i was thinking about how about uh 10 cloverfield lane yeah that's Didn't true oh, yeah that's actually that, a good point yeah. 
I think they and reshot look, it killed that the franchise. The yeah. It, I mean, that, doing that killed the franchise because the third one, they Oof. did that. And Cloverfield Paradox. And mm. yeah, everyone hated it so much that that was a wrap on that franchise. But yeah, I guess it didn't work out too well for, uh, for Hollywood, huh? The <laughs> well, IP slap, not too good. Yeah. They really lean into the com. It's not going to be mentioned here, but they kind of flip it again because part three is much more of a comedy. Mm-hmm. And I'll see my favorite prom night is, is prom night three. I think Mike Vanderbilt might agree with me on that. He's not here right now, but I haven't uh, seen Prime Night Three either. I haven't it's seen all it it's all sitting there on YouTube, folks. Yeah, Part Four is not good. Well, we'd be remiss to say, or at least acknowledge that one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, which is the majority of this list, all come from the eighties. Mm-hmm. It'd probably be easy to say that it was just cocaine that caused all these wild. I was just going to say that, like, like a. <laughs> Yeah, Coke like but 80s. It, but is it just, do you also think that maybe it's because, I don't know, like Hollywood was starting to become self-aware on, on how much money they could possibly well, make on movies now? I, I mean, could be wrong. I feel, outside the Universal Monster movies, I feel like 80s was really where sequels became a thing, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm yeah. trying to think of even horror sequels that came out in the 70s, and I'm coming up a little bit short. So I feel like it was just, yeah, they started to milk that cow a little bit. And sometimes with really inventive results. I mean, you know, greed can result in good sometimes, as yeah, uh, Gordon yeah. Gecko says. Yeah. yeah. Thanks, well, Gordon. Great lessons from Oliver Stone's movies. <laughs> does he do, I've never seen Wall Street. Does he do coke in that? Is that a good Oh, are you kidding me? Yeah. That's <laughs> what they <laughs> breathe in that movie, you know? Uh, you could see it coming out of their fucking noses throughout the most of the movie. Anyway, <laughs> speaking of coming out of their noses, and speaking of. Let me let me backtrack for a second. You got Gordon Gecko, two mm. G's, right? Yeah. This next one starts with a G. It's one of your favorite movies of all time, Caffrey, I believe. Uh, this is um, Gremlins Two, the new batch. I actually meant to make my—I don't think I said my a nickname today, but I meant to say Dan Daffy Caffrey because oh. that's the name of—I mean, essentially the Daffy Duck Gremlin in this. Uh, and speaking of Daffy Duck, Gremlins Two is so indebted to Looney Tunes, which would make sense. I mean, Joe Dante has a lifelong love of the Chuck Jones cartoons. He went on to direct a Looney Tunes film. You see a little bit of that in the first movie. Um, you know, there's some funny sound effects that go with it you see chuck jones actually make a cameo but the first movie sort of slowly becomes that i feel mm-hmm. like like there and, yeah. and even then it's still pretty serious i mean that last stretch in the uh, hardware stores is, is i think pretty gruesome this now if, <laughs> talking about wanting to do a movie the way he had always wanted to do it and capture the tone he'd always wanted to capture. I think Gremlins 2 does that much better than Texas Chainsaw 2. And, uh, and yes, yes. The immortal words of Mike Vanderbilt, who's not here, understood the assignment. Uh, but the assignment is also created by Joe Dante. Something, <laughs> I can't think of another movie where a director had this much power. They pretty much said, do whatever the hell you want. We don't care what it is. And it, yeah, he essentially sets the Gremlins loose in a... Um, technology an overblown technological wonder of a building <laughs> yeah it's, it's trump tower da- yeah. daniel it's funny because daniel clamp i think he's like a combination of trump and what ted turner i i guess right because yeah. he's yeah. he's kind of a nice guy in the movie in a way that trump's not but it has that like oh i'm just gonna slap a price tag on everything this is another movie when i saw when i was six once again the comedy went right over my head i just looked at it like whoa this is still a really freaky gremlins movie but i would say about halfway through once the gremlins once they mul- they multiply and uh, metamorphosize and take over, it just becomes like a reel of sight gags until the very end. And there's still a main plot, but I I don't know if there's another horror sequel that is so gleeful in how anarchic it is. They are just going nuts with like Hulk Hogan showing up and 
there's that that kind of murderer's row of gags where they show the fam of the opera gremlin and the, <laughs> the lady gremlin they're doing like a busby berkeley thing it's, it's like the gremlins almost like great. go through the history of cinema before we get back to the main action of the movie but <laughs> yeah, well, I, yeah i fucking adore this movie i i live in the city it takes place and i wish there was a clamp tower i could go to and actually see <laughs> I, but I, I think then the, yeah. the closest comp would kind of be evil dead too in a way yeah mm-hmm. yeah yeah, but even, also, but, but, yeah, but even Gremlins still thing. has some comedic elements to that first one. Still, you know, it they're does. in the bar and the theater, the yeah. movie theater, and stuff like that. But I mean, and this one flips it even more because it becomes meta because yeah. you got Leonard Malton giving <laughs> his review, great. his actual review of his of his pan of Gremlins on TV. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, he gets murdered by the gremlins. It makes no sense. It absolutely makes no all. sense. <laughs> it makes then it's like they're, no sense. they're recognizing yeah. that Gremlins is a movie within exactly. this movie that we're still supposed to be following seriously. I mean, also, too, we always forget it starts off with a Bugs Bunny Daffy Duck short, yeah. too. Mm-hmm. That becomes yeah. it just this movie just announces itself. And it's another one that I don't think did very well when it came out. And I I know every now and then we we talk so much now about how Hollywood tends to neuter these auteurs who get brought on to do some big blockbuster movie. Like, I mean, Joe Dante already did the first one, so it makes sense he got brought back, but you see this in Marvel a lot too. You'll go, Oh, we got this director. And then they do the movie and you're like, ah, you just kind of marvelize them. Um, it's very, I, I, for real, I don't know if this happens anymore. You'd have, you would have a big budget, major motion picture, major studio, and they just literally go do whatever the hell you want. We're not mm-hmm. going to pay attention to you. Maybe Christopher Nolan. Yeah, yeah, yeah well, exactly. And yes, ironically saw. enough, Jordan Peele, who, oh, with Ke- that, who yeah. did the Gremlins Two sketch, the yeah. famous Gremlins Two sketch. I love that. I love that sketch. And know what? The best thing about that sketch is you're watching the whole time, and you're and you, you, in my head, I remember going, "You didn't even mention like the vegetable Gremlin," and then he, he like turns back at the end and, and mentions it. And I love too <laughs> how they actually made. Is Key playing Joe Dante right in it, I think? Mm-hmm. Yeah, basically. And, and I love how they actually made him look almost exactly like Joe Dante. They don't need to. It's so funny. To me I think Joe Dante even like tweeted. I was like, yep, that's exactly goes, that's what happened. That's right. That's exactly what happened. Yeah. yeah he was in on it. It's funny. The, there's a good question, Dan, though, about like the creative control. Because like when you look back, and I just watched Explorers the other night. And as a kid, I used to love Explorers, except for the third act, which uh, which is not good. And you could also say that you know that movie got was taken out of Joe Dante's hands. But mm-hmm, it true. is weird to think that. So he, after that, he does Inner Space, and then right after that, he goes and does The Burbs, which is you know was was considerably is a yeah. hit. It was a comedy hit. But to be like, all right, go out and go do whatever you want. They must have really just wanted that Gremlins movie. Then, like, I, I almost feel yeah. like they, they were. It was, speaks more to the IP than it would to Joe Dante, right? I mean, like, and yeah, there's no shade to me because I love every one of those movies, like that, that I just mentioned. It's no shade to Dante, but I'm just saying. I don't know if it, I wonder if it was really Dante that unlocked it or if it really was just like, we need this fucking Gremlins movie now. Like, <laughs> well, you know, I do remember, I still have some. running out, they, we're past the six year mark or five year mark. Yeah. They, they had these little figurines you could get of all the new Gremlins. So they had Mohawk, they had George, they had Daffy, they had Lenny. They had these bases on them. I, and I don't think it was some merchandising juggernaut or anything. It wasn't like. I don't know. I'm trying to think of a movie that I, I honestly like Prince of Thieves, right? Which is, I don't even like that movie that much, but I remember the action figures were oh, everywhere great. for that movie. It's just great. And, yeah, yeah. I know you guys, I'm, I feel like I'm the one dissenter about that movie, but with Gremlins too, it's all nostalgia for me, but I love it. Yeah. yeah it's a, it. I, yeah, but, but like, it's funny because Gremlins too, I remember those little figurines. I'm trying to remember if they, cause they, that'd be my thought too. Oh, oh, we can do the, the gizmo dolls and, or whatever else. But, uh, yeah, it's almost, it's just this like, bizarre anomaly that I, I just love that it exists i don't know you know what it yeah, is i mean i could I, like you said christopher nolan or 
I mean, you have movies like nowadays, like Happy Death Day Two, is very subversive of the first one. But also, that's not a big budget movie. That they there's yeah. not as much risk in that. Like this, even the special effects alone in this film are just off the wall. They still hold oh, yeah. up really well today, too. Well, you know, I just I just realized that, and I pursued it to make sure I was right, and I and I think I'm right. Do you know? <laughs> this got to be right. You said Lenny Grimlin. I was thinking to myself, why is his name Lenny? And I thought but about George Mice, and Lenny. George and Lenny from Mice, Mice, Mice and Men, right? Oh, yeah. That, that's yeah, what that, it's based that, on, right? That's true. That's very true. Oh, yeah, that's my correct. God. That, well, first of all, I, I assure you, his name would not be Lenny Grimlin if this movie no. was made in 2022. No. But looking back now, I think about the dynamic between the George Grimlin. Oh, it's, it's Lenny and <laughs> exactly. Mice and Men. That is another insane element where, where he's like, I'm going to make a Grimlin sequel. And, and of the three... Or of the four villainous Mogwai, two of them will be based on the giants, the John Steinbeck novels protagonists. <laughs> what the hell? And then the other one is going to not only be like a demonic Daffy Duck, but he's going to reference the scene from Marathon Man yeah. <laughs> with, with the dentist <laughs> and literally safe? says, is it seriously? It's, it's so, so funny. bizarre. Oh, it's you so know what, great. And, but you, so know what the, you know what Gremlins 2 is? Gremlins 2 is, you know the ending of Scream when, uh, any, any Scream movie when we always expect like the, you know, the killer to come back and, and yeah. you know, and, and attack? That's Gremlins 2, but with the 80s. It was like, all right, it's 1990. Yeah. Here is one last, like, boom. one last gas. Yeah. yeah. And Glorious then it's, that was it. Yeah. I, I mean, if you think about that, that movie ends with the lady gremlin fucking Robert, <laughs> Robert Picardo. Picardo. That's really yeah. funny, too. And yeah. he, he just shrugs, too. He's like, eh, he all shrugs. right. Like, uh, I, Robert Picardo and Joe Dante <laughs> must have just one of the best friendships ever for oh, yeah. him to be yeah. like, all right, we're going to give you lesions on your head for playing an alien in Explorers, which is what happened. I mean, Robert Picardo had not a great experience during that. And you're going to come in a, a werewolf we, murder rapist in, uh, yeah, the, in the howling, howling. <laughs> and you're going to get fucked by a gremlin. And now we're going to get <laughs> fucked by lady gremlin. Like, and then we're going to make you a, like a foreigner. <laughs> he, had a, he also had some oh, wild in the makeup in, in inner space. So the in cowboy, inner space, right? yeah. yeah like, and cowboy. he has to do so much physical comedy in that and also get hit and get punched and all this. Picardo, my hat's off to you. Love yeah, Picardo. He's great. He's, awesome. he's almost like the Bruce Campbell uh, to, to uh, Joe Dante's Joe Dante. Sam Raimi. So. Yeah. How about that? Speaking of Bruce Campbell, mm. our next entry, Justin, do you want to just kind of give a This is going to be cursory because yeah. this is a little tease. We don't even have to really get into it, but it's another Evil Dead movie. It's Army of Darkness, which kind of mm-hmm. flips the script once more. It sees our protagonist leave the cabin for the first time after two movies and go all the way back in time to the medieval times. And it's even goofier than the second movie is. And I'm really looking forward to talking about a very good Short. I think the movie's 80 minutes with credits, by the way. Movie. But I think my, my, my reasoning for including it here was derp. Like, of course, we have to include Army of Darkness here. But I think we, could, we should save that. Yeah, let's just save for, it. For, don't yeah. worry. I'm sure we we'll had spend three hours on you'll it. Get in a couple weeks, so. You'll get two episodes on exactly. it, I'm sure. Well, why don't <laughs> yeah. you stick around? Because there's another 1993 movie, and I don't mean Jurassic Park. I'm talking another Jurassic movie, if you, if you really want to use some adjectives here. The, the, last, the, the last of the three from this franchise that we we have on here, mm. what is it, Je- Justin? That's right, Leprechaun Three. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> it is, uh, and you know, it's Jason Goes to Hell, the Final Friday. Mike Vanderbilt's one of Mike Vanderbilt's favorite Friday Thirteenth entries. Um, he loves it a lot for its originality, and to be fair, it definitely is original. And here's the way you can look at it flipping the script. Not mm-hmm. only is Jason 
basically gone. The the Jason that we know and love with the chain with the with the hockey mask, the zombie Jason, machete, blah blah blah. He's he's leaping around from body to body throughout the entire movie until he comes back. That's one way of flipping the script. But if you remember the advertising campaign, there was no suggestion of that happening. No, none at all. It was a the silver trailers, mask. Every time you see the you see Jason as the killer, mm-hmm. except for this was quick cuts, but you can't tell what's going on. And so you're led to believe it's going to be Jason throughout. And before the credits, Jason blows up. So whether or not you like or, or dislike this movie, it doesn't matter. This definitely flips yeah. the script on the franchise, 100%. Mm-hmm. Did the original poster, I mean, I guess the only hint at that would have been the worm you see on the poster. Yeah. But I can't yeah. remember if that was the, but I mean, still, I just thought that was like, oh, Jason's evil. He's got a Exactly. Maybe that's, they'll mask. explain why he's evil, but it doesn't necessarily say he's going to be jumping around. So, the, the, yeah. When I thought about this prompt, the one question I had in mind was, could you ever imagine the franchise landing where it does in the sequel? And I got to say, if I'm walking out of 1980s Friday the 13th, I'm sitting there going, I'm like, God, did you see the mom in this? I don't know. I didn't, I didn't think Pamela Voorhees was going to be 13 years later. Do you think the drowned son's going to come back and eat the hearts out of its victims uh, as a worm in about 13 years from now? <laughs> like, I, I don't think I'd even want to know right this, mind. Mike. Wasn't Rob Zombie's first Halloween 2009, or was it a second one? Mm-hmm. 2009? No, 2007 was. Oh, 2009 was the. Yeah, no, 2007 was the first one, and then 2009 yeah. was the second one. Yeah. That, so we're 13 years removed from that. Mm-hmm. Jason Goes to Hell was 13 years removed from the first Friday 13th. It doesn't seem like it was that long ago comparatively, no. right? So I can't yeah. even imagine the trajectory of, you know, eight movies later, yeah. <laughs> where we where we it, end up. It's just it's crazy. Isn't it weird? Because I feel like Freddy's. Dead is kind of the Jason goes to hell of night there on Elm Street, even just around the time it came out and just the way they market it, like, oh, it's the final one. Mm-hmm. It is funny how both of those movies rely on the fact that, oh, n- no, the core evil of them is actually from this other thing. It's from these dream demons he made a deal with. Or v- and this there's also a, a late in the game reveal that there's another family member. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's movies. very... And they're both not very good, in my opinion. But uh, Yeah, I would <laughs> personally agree. Yeah. I, you know what? Honestly, th- throughout the seasons... I actually do think Jason Goes to Hell is better than Freddy's Dead. I would agree with that, yeah. Thank you, Mike Vanderbilt. I mean, from what I remember... Again, it's like saying World War One's not as bad as World War Two. but, you know, I mean... <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, from what I remember, I, I think I softened a little bit on Jason Goes to Hell, because Vanderbilt has a very good argument for that movie. I don't know if I... Sh- I definitely don't share the passion, and I'm not completely swayed, but I... I see what he's saying, and I appreciate it. So can I've I, can come I name like 2,000 movies I enjoy more than Jason Goes to Hell? <laughs> yes. Un- undoubtedly. I absolutely... Can I name 1,000 movies worse? Yes. I, I get his <laughs> argument. I understand it. I agree with it. <laughs> Do I... Does it change the fact that every time I watch that movie, I pull out my phone? It doesn't mm-hmm. matter what I'm doing. I, it, it's, it's just... And it's short. It's short, and I, I mean, I saw it at the fucking drive-in, and I was bored at the drive-in. I was like, I mean, it was just so like, God, there's like, it just like kind of loses momentum for that second act, and by the time you get to the third, you're like, I don't care anymore. I mean, yeah. this is a fucking Kendarian dagger. I should care because I love Evil Dead, but I don't care. But yep. I'll tell you what I did care about. Mm. I'll tell you what I care about big time. You want to talk about really shaking things up with, with an even shorter distance. Try 10 years, and let's go to 1994 and talk about Wes Craven's new nightmare. I got to say, if I were to rank all of these, this is number one. I think this is the mm. smartest flip. I think it's still smart. I, I don't think – I was really trying to think, has anyone done this flip, and have they done it well, and at least as, as strong as this one? I mean, it, it's so unbelievable to think 
of not only the 180 from the original, but also the 180 from Freddy's Dead, which was only what two years, three years before this. Like I feel three like. It's funny because we're we are starting to get a little bit more meta, not a little bit, a lot more meta with a lot of our big franchise movies. But I think it's going to be this multiverse shit, which is not the same as what it is, New Nightmare yeah. does. And yeah. it's inter- and I think we'll probably see a little bit of that in horror. Also, I would not be surprised. Mark my words, I'm going to say it here. I would not be surprised if the next iteration of Halloween after the Blumhouse films are done, or if it stays with Blumhouse even, but after this trilogy is done, I would not be surprised if the next iteration is a Spider-Man No Way Home style thing that finally binds together all the franchises, right? And in many ways, that could be cool. On the other hand, that feels kind of lazy because it's just following a trend, and it's really easy just to go, yeah, all these things exist in different universes. What New Nightmare does is go, no, this is a movie and it's rooted in some reality, but here's the universe we live in. I can't think of many movies that have, uh, no, any movies, mm-hmm. horror or otherwise, that have done that. Not to, <laughs> this is kind of me being a shithead bringing this up on this podcast, but I've talked about I'm reading these Philip Roth books right now. And he does that in all of his books. He has so many books that go like, okay, this is a book within a book within a book, and actually uses it to comment on the creative process quite a bit. Um, I'm not, you know, comparing Nightmare on Elm Street to Philip Roth is maybe a fool's errand, but. It just shows how inventive that move is and how few movies have done that period. I really think we're just going to be in multiverse land for a while, and I'd like to see more movies go into New Nightmare Land. That's well, my Dan, as you know, that. in the tremendous Taking Shape 2, there is actually yes. an unused, unproduced script that does have the multiverse uh, Halloween, all the Halloween Wait, movies. Really? Put in, make them different yeah. universes. Yeah, they, they try to do it. There's like a it's, – it's, read the book. It's, it's, it's incredible. Book. If you like the Halloween book. movies, it's it, – it's long, but you can't put it down. Like it took me oh, weeks yeah. to read it. I mean, that's but my God, favorite type of stuff. So though. great. That's why yeah, I love um, Jason but, Jenkins. But, you know, we can talk about the, the flaws of New Nightmare. We've talked about them plenty, especially you guys talked about mm-hmm. on the episode. Oh, but, yeah. Yeah. but like you said, Mike, I mean, it's telling that every time. I remember when Halloween was coming out, and we heard that it had a fresh idea. The first thing we thought of, oh, is You're this right. going to be meta? Is this going to be Jamie Lee Curtis outside of the movies? And the same thing was going on with Scream. Is this going to mm-hmm. be? Our world acknowledging that the screen movies exist. There's something about that that, at the same time, will just feel like such a ripoff of New Nightmare. I feel like it's yeah. such a singular thing. Like, how do you do without being like, "Oh, this is literally just New Nightmare," but we've got the protagonist from this series and the antagonist from that series. I, True. What I'm saying is, it's a singular experience and is extremely fresh. And I was I've been racking my brains for years thinking about something that was like this before and has been like this since and i can't think of anything i could see scream doing it i that's do like too. the one franchise I mean, where i could see and because wes craven was so involved and with they it, could even yeah. joke about new nightmare in that mm-hmm. which you'd have yeah. to yes. i guess which i mean i'm genuinely surprised they haven't done it yeah i i, I was so convinced that that was going to be the thing for scream five because really i mean i'm just looking ahead at scream six now and I genuinely don't know where they go. Like, I mean, I, I, unless you go really even supernatural with it, and we we don't have to go down this road because I've, you guys already have been down that road in the last Evil Dead episode. But like, yeah, I don't know. It's just right there, and I, I it would be so easy. But I think it's to your point. Like, it would feel like kind of like a a lazy hack move in a way. Not hack, but like a lazy move. Like, just, oh, well, just, that's expected. It's so singular. Mm-hmm. It's so hard to be like, oh, this is kind of like these movies or this mm-hmm. era. It'll be like, yeah. no, this is literally just we're doing West New Nightmare, and it's gonna be tough to top that. So, so this is a anyway. trope that hasn't that that's started and stopped here. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. 
Yeah. Which, how often can you say that? Yeah. <laughs> for, yeah. For, you could, yeah. you, you certainly can't say it for the next and last entry. <sighs> yeah. That's to you. you. This is all you. Yeah. Gabby. This is, and this movie's hard for me, <laughs> hard for me to talk about. Like it's my dead relative or something. But, but no, it's hard. It's <laughs> hard because it gets so spoiled. It is, by though, the way. It is like, cause I, cause I remember it's Halloween issue 20 years later. Mm-hmm. And I remember having such a fist pump moment, even as an eighth grader, seeing this in theaters because. A, they disregard the sequels back when that actually kind of made sense. They'd only done it once up to that point. They did it all in the name of streamlining everything rather than making money. Even, I would argue, the ending of cutting off Michael's, well, Michael's in quotation marks, head at the end of it, that literally did what we had wanted every horror movie to do up until that point none of them had done. It felt so new and fresh. I mean, if anything is derivative about it's the... It being in dead to scream and the kind of the Kevin Williamsonification of it, that to me is not a negative necessarily. I just look at it like of the era. Anyway, H two O to me just felt so subversive at the time because of all of those reasons. It was the and it was the I don't know it was the very first retcon. Why not? Was it the first horror retcon? I was trying I to think of, about this. Yeah, I, I know some um. of the ha- the Hammer horror films uh, in the Dracula series from Christopher Lee. Uh, they get a little fast and loose with the. Continuity. movies that come after it but that's so different because that's like when it's dracula right yeah you can bring, yeah he can always come back kind of thing i think, I mean, I think it's the thing friday about this, it, it not only it's it, this isn't like they retcon everything they, they, they retcon specific entries mm-hmm. yeah which is i think very different from anything else to try to do this before yeah you know and and also too it's and once again it does resurrection and then the next ignoring of the timeline that we're currently in right now it does make h2o worse and that's not really the movie's fault that's just like the hollywood landscape so it mm. do, it does that ending it becomes a more frustrating movie from that but i mean this it felt like such a big thing back in the 90s it felt like a big thing for halloween to even get a modern day sequel back then i remember just mm-hmm. being so thrilled about it but uh yeah and i still love this movie man i don't know it might be like my third favorite of the franchise i just i I know there's issues with the score and it has that kind of CW feel about it, but yeah, it just, it moves for me. I love the opening. I love how fast of a machine it is. Yeah. The, there's some, the mask stuff sucks or whatever, but like, it's just such an intensely watchable movie for me. So yeah, I always, come yeah, it's, every year. I, I, you know, the nostalgia, like you said, Kevin, I mean, for me, it's so strong. It, you mm-hmm. know, this is such a huge event movie it was a packed house it wasn't like it was some cult thing i felt like it was a big deal at the time oh, it was a big it deal was just, it was an event it was, it was a great theater well, experience and that, and that sticks with me and the ending sticks with me and there's still a lot to like in it, it it's one of those things we talk about where i'm like you know god i love some of those blink 182 albums but if i had never <laughs> heard them before and you played them for me now in my 40s would i be able to listen to any of them for more than good, like 30 yeah. seconds it's yeah a great comp so a great but comp. I'm, so what yeah. i'm saying is i'm happy that i'm old enough yeah. to remember how much i love this movie and when i watch it i Nostalgia is definitely strong. I can still see myself in the theater at Pleasure Island in 1998 watching it. And that ending is still fuck, fuck Resurrections, retconning exactly. there too. The yeah. ending is just still awesome. And it's, it's and, and honestly, based on this movie and what it started, it essentially opened up Pandora's box for all of Hollywood. When you think about the, yes. you know, the scrapping of stuff, and mm-hmm. this is not a great flip in, the, in, in that sense. You could basically use that argument and be like, eh, guess what? Uh, in, in, in this timeline, the res- Halloween resurrection doesn't happen. I mean, at this yeah, point, exactly. I, I look at the Halloween series almost like teeth, you know, like they're all connected. We all have to, you know, to have them. But, you, you know, if 
you could kick one out and you still got the other ones right here. You still got that one there. And yeah, it's, it's, it, and that's kind of how I look at it with this. It's like, you could take single entries out if you really wanted to. I mean, fuck you. If you want to like, believe that the Halloween series ends with four and Jamie Lloyd is really a psycho the entire mm. time, you could do that also. If mm. you want to believe that Jamie Lloyd's still out there and you know, the man in yeah, black I mean, is got to retake shape too. I know I have to, because yeah, there's so, so many they, entries. I mean, they take, right behind oh, me. It's just incredible stuff. I, it's funny. I just picked up from the comic book store. They're currently doing this comic series called Batman '89, which is I cannot is, wait to read this. Yeah. It's I know I can't, no I I just bought five of the six issues are out, and I bought five of them, and I'm like oh, I should just wait till August when they're all out because I think I'm, I'm going to want to read. But you know, and I I mean superheroes. I mean it's tough because growing up reading comic books for a long time, I've accepted okay the multiverse is a thing. Deaths mean nothing. You can kind of pick and choose what your favorite Batman stories are. I could pick up whatever the latest issue is right now and probably still know what's going on because it's essentially different versions of the same story. But I don't know. I think that's just, it's always been that way in comics. And so when I see it happen to movies, it's a little bit harder for a pill to swallow. But like you said, Mike, I've just for the Halloween series, especially have just gotten to the point where I have to go, okay, yeah, these are kind of isolated things in time. And I revisit every movie every year, pretty much every way anyway. So it's, yeah. So it's, it's not that big of an issue. I'll always I've said this so much on the podcast at this point, but for me, it's more just like Jamie Lee Curtis, who is heavily involved with HBO. Obviously, nowadays talking shit about it, I don't know why. It just always makes me oh, mad. It's, it's like it's yeah. not my movie. I didn't make it. Why is it pissed? But it's just this like I did HBO for the money, which I just uh, yeah, I don't know because it's so much better. I think than I think and, and, and I'm, I love Halloween Kills and Halloween, but I mean HBO is it's here and they're down here. But I think that's what makes I think that's what all these qualities make this franchise so awesome and so much fun to talk about is because. It's a scrapbook franchise. I mean, I don't, I don't know anyone like. I mean, yeah, everyone, I like that term. Yeah. You, you could basically, you could talk to six different Halloween fans, and they could, pro- they'll probably all tell you the different ones that, you know, they'll probably all acknowledge that. Yeah, Halloween, the first one's the best, but this is my favorite, and they'll explain why, and they'll have different arguments, and that's, and that's ultimately probably why it's, it's, it's the most popular IP for us to talk about on this, the, you know, on this podcast removed from the fact that our fucking name is from it. But, and we started from that franchise, but I just think that in terms of the malleability of it, it, it's such a mercurial franchise that I don't know in that respect, it's awesome. I I, I do. I, I appreciate it for that. Even if I think it's pretty miserable at times, <laughs> franchise. I, I wish about. that they, and I wish that in H2O that they had just kept the mask from Curse of Michael Myers, which they were oh, going to do. And Ugh. which shows up in the beginning. And I feel like honestly, it would be a totally different movie. It, sometimes it does depend on that mask. You know, yes. yeah. So, yeah. Oh well. Yeah. Silver it's lining. Still good. Love uh love Carrie Tate in it, or should I say Laurie Strode? Love the ending and um Adam Arkin. Adam, Arkin. Adam Arkin's great. So uh well there he is. Thirteen. Thirteen. Can, can we run can I literally run through these other yeah, ones? Yeah, Just like, run for it. Yeah. I'll run through it real him. quick. Go for him. Some ones we didn't use Friday thirteenth part five in the beginning. Makes sense. It flip stripped uh surprise killer. Surprise a new killer at the mm-hmm. very end. We discover uh Amityville two, the possession is a sequel. It's listed as a sequel, but it's really a prequel. Uh, Jason X and Leprechaun Four in space. Mm-hmm. We take these fran- these dumb franchises and we put them in outer space. And Caffrey, you had in there. I like this one, Maniac Cop Two. You wrote uh, ups the ante, but also introduces a sidekick who's worse than the main villain and steals the show. And boy, Leo Rossi, Leo Rossi, and that's basically supposed to be the killer from Maniac. Mm-hmm. You know that? Oh, that's right. Because wasn't there? Weren't they going to have him do yes. it? Either? And there were some died, rights obviously. issues or something too. And so, but it's basically supposed to be the character from Maniac. Oh, and then the title works. It's like Maniac. Exactly. Slash exactly. Uh, I wrote 
and my, my commission is earlier, but Spiral, it does still flip the script. It's, it, it does. It's new yeah. lore, brand new lore, in my opinion, to a fault. New puppet. Got a added to puppet. the existing lore. Uh, Final Destination 5 is a surprise prequel. Mm-hmm. Pretty good movie, by the way. Maybe, honestly, yeah. maybe my favorite Final Destination movie. Book of Shadows, Blair Witch 2, totally changes the format of that. It goes from a quote-unquote documentary to just a, a movie with a normal movie structure. Leprechaun back... <laughs> This movie always fucking comes up somehow now. Leprechaun Back to the Hood is a sequel to a specific sequel, which is very rare. So that kind of mm. flips the script in that way. The movie Mark of the Vampire with Bela Lugosi is another movie that's a surprise meta movie at the very end. Uh, Piranha 2, The Spawning, and this one, The Fish Fly. <laughs> and but I think you put this in here. I like this. I just Rock, added it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah I just one. put that. Yeah. Happy Death Day to you is, uh, oh, you know, okay, I, I yeah. feel remiss not Happy to say Death it. Happy Death Day I mean, too. Yeah, it, it, the, the the reason why I don't think we put that or like Terminator Two or something like that in is because the, ultimately the like product sci-fi. of that is sci-fi, you know, mm-hmm. and it's, it's it's sci-fi action, and you know, it's it it kind of removes the horror completely. Like I, I I mean, I guess you could make the argument that Terminator Two has some horror elements to it, but not really. Like I really not like don't. Fr- I mean, James Cameron sci-fi. said the first one is Michael yeah. Myers, pretty. And the much, same thing know? with Aliens. Like I, I don't really find Aliens frightening at all. Like I find that it, it's just. I think it's I think intense, actually, but it's, it's intense, not but yeah, yeah. So that's why I don't think we put those on. This we list, so. you could almost do because I'm thinking about this now with the piranha flying. You could almost do a whole list of creatures that evolve because you have like pumpkin head like on blood yeah. wings or something is the second or third one, and then in tremors they get legs in the second one. <laughs> you could yeah. do a whole you know, yeah. I will say you mentioned evolution. you mentioned aliens, and I do think 28 weeks later kind of flips the script too. It, it, it's just kind of insulated movie with three people driving around yeah and really opens that up to hundreds of people and a huge ensemble and 28 weeks later so that kind of flips the script you think we'll ever get 28 months later Uh, i do actually i still that's (laughs) something i'm like yeah i think we'll probably eventually get that yeah will be any good i don't know i still think of um not to, not to bring down the podcast, but I still think of Harry Knowles' public access show. It's oh. abomination. And uh, he managed to get Danny Boyle on there. It's like in a little crystal ball or something. And, and he's like, Danny, I got to ask, are we getting 28 months later? And, he, and all they show in the clip is him going, yes. Oh, my <laughs> it's, God. It's so bad. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, um, no what I think is going to flip the script. I mean, honestly, it already has, just given that they filmed it in secret and – how informed the casting is Pearl, I think, uh, yeah, coming out. With, I'm, I'm excited. I mean, we know what it's going to be now, but I feel like that weirdly flipped the script on X before X was even released. Um, it just it just kind of changed what X was. And, yeah, I can't think of many movies that were filmed in secret like that. So oh, I'm interested. Blair Witch yeah. was called The Woods until the last second. Oh, and then they right. said, well, I mean, they knew what it was going to be called, but it was a surprise to us. So. Well, they flipped back the script. There you go. Because <laughs> they're like, they're like Book <laughs> yeah. of Shadows didn't work out too well, so we're going back. <laughs> and now it looks like Lionsgate's going to do it again, you know. So uh, we shall see. I, we're going to get more Blair Witch. Anyway, let's flip the script ourselves and share what's next. Uh, Caffrey, you've been busy over at uh, the Losers Club. Um, what is, I have. Tell us so about when, the latest steps you've done. You, you mentioned Creature before. but Yeah, we, so we have a Patreon episode for uh, Dance Macabre, for the crate, uh, Creature from the Black Lagoon, which was obviously a big influence on King. We had a fun time on that episode. I was... Yeah. Uh, 
it's a hard it's hard to talk about no i love that movie so much i feel like i was i was really spazzing out a lot on that episode hopefully no in a good you sounded way. great uh, you sounded great in that oh like, thanks yeah, I, I don't know why that one it was it's close to my heart first horror movie i've ever seen so yeah with mm. creature episodes a lot of fun uh we just did our black house episode last time which dropped early yeah three yeah, hours so, long wow. and it went by really fast i think yeah. because it's such a weird king book like it didn't it, it didn't I feel like sometimes when we do episodes, both here and uh, Losers Club, if it's something that's been covered so much, right, it can mm-hmm. be like, okay, how are we going to make this stand out? What can we dive into that other people haven't? So you're kind of on edge in a weird way and trying to make sure it goes a certain way. With Black House, because there, there's really not much coverage out there on it, so we had a it really, really fun time. Yeah, yeah. yeah it, was, it was great. And then I might be at the end, might at the end of my run for the... Losers I think so month. for right now. I mean, it was a I, lot. Yeah, it was in a good way on both on both podcasts. I mean, we'll, uh, uh, yeah, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what May looks like. We got we got a little um, we got a little horror movie of ourself uh, of our own coming along uh, called Parenthood. Uh, yeah, that's true. So, that is true. You got a busy yeah, I'm, I'm, busy coming Steve up. Martin, Tom yeah. Holtz. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, God. Well, um, let's uh, let's talk about uh, what the deadites on this pod mm. can expect <laughs> to find next justo what do we got coming in may we already basically said what the next movie is going to be well but, yeah i mean we got a big army of darkness i'm sure there'll be two episodes of army of darkness coming mm-hmm. out in may and i guess at the end of the mike we got the stuff coming up we do we have the stuff that's going to be done still doing research on that and uh we do have our next rental figured out for next month which is actually we have both the, the rental and the i might as well just announce it lake placid which is one of them I imagine Caffrey, that's a creature feature. You'll probably be love creature features. I would be happy. I haven't seen, uh, and you know, as we've as we've said many times, like Classic, a minor work. A minor, it is a minor work. Yeah, <laughs> same with H two O, which guys is on this list. That, are, are we the podcast that is devoted the most to talking, the most time to talking about Steve Miner's career? Uh, yes. I feel like we probably are. love one thousand percent easily. We, we brought Big Bully several times. Yeah. <laughs> is that the is that the the movie with I think it's Rick Tom Arnold's last movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's true true. Wait, oh, and then, there, no wait, 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 no wait, hold up. Isn't the what's the one with Paul Giamatti where they paint him blue? Oh no, that's um That's that's big it's three big words. fat angry boss or something yeah. like that. Big, yeah. Fat, fat angry boss big angry or something, something. Like that. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Paul yeah. Giamatti You looked that up. That was oh, when he was movie, doing like uh, that was when he was doing like Big Mama's house and stuff and um <laughs> But Mike, sorry, you said so. Lake Placid is going to be the rental. And what so was Lake the Placid is the rental. So in the aisle, uh, we got a holiday in May. Mm. Big fat liar. Sorry, big fat liar. <laughs> that's what it is. Okay. <laughs> what what do you say? Big fat bully. My big fat bull or, or my boss? Yeah, I, th- I thought it was big, like, big angry fat boss. Bo- is what you big, said? Big angry boss <laughs> or something? Anyway, we talked about this movie on this list. Mm-hmm. We uh, we did. It's a uh, Friday Thirteenth Part Two. We're going to be doing mm. a commentary track for. Um, because, uh, May 13th, we got a Friday the 13th coming up. So that'll be exciting. I don't know what our list is going to be in May, but, uh, yeah. So we got a busy one. I mean, it's, it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm, I'm so excited to talk about Army of Darkness and I'm ready to get medieval on your ass in May. And, uh, and Hey, we could call it medieval May, which actually I don't think (laughs) is that bad. I don't know. That actually sounded pretty like awful right medieval on your like that that's pulp fiction it's kind of wrong anyway i'm gonna go with who it. cares it's fine it's for not, me it's not i think the medieval may though at least isn't bad i think it's me. great yeah. anyway so removed from the weird sexual connotations before uh get ready to sharpen that sword get ready with the saddle on the horse and get ready to join us join, join us, us. Join us. us.
This is the end of our show. For now. We hope you enjoyed this production. If you like our programming, consider searching for other bloody disgusting podcasts, such as Creepy, Horror Queers, The Boo Crew, SCP Archives, Nightlight, Margaret's Garden, and more.